Good morning. So I didn't. This doesn't have anything to do with the sermon. It has to do with Tasha's comments. We're just going to read a passage. And he was saying these things in his defense. That's Paul. And Festus said with a loud voice, he said, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been in a corner. King Agrippa, do you not believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. So anyway, it's a good thing to be called crazy. Paul was called crazy. And yeah, no, that's good. We've, we've talked about that. We need, yeah. Anyway, um, thank you, Raleigh. It actually ties pretty in with my sermon today, so that's interesting. Um, we we um, have been talking the last few weeks, and Julie especially talked up here, the idea that you are a child of God. And we've had a lot of talk about identity, and Julie said that it was, I think, about as good as it could be said on that part last week. But the whole conversation we're going to have here today really starts with that foundational idea that you are a child of God. And then at the risk of being redundant, because Betsy, without knowing it, had used the passage that I used the week before in her sermon. I don't know. Did anybody notice that? It was like the same passage two weeks in a row. Well, don't notice it today because it's going to be the same passage three weeks in a row. Yeah, we're going crazy here. Um, but this one was just laid on my heart, so it's what you get, even though I'm like, I wouldn't usually normally do the same passage three weeks in a row. Um, but here we go, this passage. God really, I think, wants us to get this, and that is why we're doing it three weeks in a row. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more worth than they? Are you? Yes. yes, you are more worth than they. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? That's because they advertise to us a lot about it. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And then I want to pull in another passage from Matthew. And it goes, And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the waters. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. 
And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And again, he talks about this little faith thing. He said to them, Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And then Jesus, though, he follows the story up immediately with this. And as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered in the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Mustard seed faith. And I, I want to propose one idea here today. The size of faith that we need, the size that is just a mustard seed, it's small, it's tiny. Maybe it's just the request itself. I mean, it takes a lot of faith, actually, to go to God and just pray, God, I need help with this. God, can you deliver me from this? God, can you heal me with this? God, you know the situation. Can you make it better? Maybe that request is just the mustard seed we need. Because our faith isn't magical. We don't have to know like an incantation to actually have God do what God wants to do in our lives. We just need to come to him. We just need to lay it, on, lay it out to God. In our faith, it doesn't have to be giant. You know, I don't doubt Brian's faith. And yet, Brian's heard at times that he doesn't have enough faith, and that's why God hasn't healed him. And that's one of the phrases that ticks me off more than anything in the world. And maybe I'll get more into that later. But, but Brian and us, we've prayed for his healing for years. And right now, as it stands, he's still not healed. Yet. And, you know, with Bryce, we prayed for years for his seizures to be healed. He was my poster child for unanswered prayers for the longest time. And we kept pushing into God for healing for Bryce's seizures. And yet, he sits here seizure-free for how long, Bryce? Year and a half. No medication. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's, and, you, and, you know, the thing with... Yeah. The thing with Bryce's healing, it isn't like he, he couldn't walk. Like when Brian starts walking, we're going to notice it right away, you know. Like this is going to be awesome, and we'll see him running around with a dog, although Angus might not be able to run much then. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see the beauty of Brian walking. With Bryce's like, lack of seizures, it isn't like one day we saw, like, oh, he no longer has seizures. I mean, it, it took time. But then you realize after a bit of time that he hasn't had a seizure for how long? And you would have them like weekly or monthly, right? Yeah, so definitely we can say that I think assuredly that God has healed Bryce of his seizures. So I can't tell you why Bryce struggled with seizures for nearly 20 years. And I can't tell you why God, when we first come to him and we ask him for prayer, because, you know, nobody prayed more for that healing than Angel and Bryce. And, and, and you know, they would lay there in bed probably and they would pray and they would weep. And they, they, why didn't God heal them? I, uh, it's, it's frustrating, isn't it? 
And I think in the world we live in, we have two competing sides in Christianity. We hear like two voices. One that says healings like this don't happen. And one that says that the healings like this have to happen quickly and automatically and immediately. And, and in Christianity, neither one of these views helps us in the struggle. Neither camp gives us a way to think to carry us through the time when we ask and we don't receive. That time in that valley of sadness, despair, seeking. But what if praying is the mustard seed and that shows you have enough faith? And then how do we deal with not receiving the healing we desire? In the end, I, I think that we just have to be people who continue to push in. Our faith is not dependent upon whether we get that healing or not. Brian, for instance, has always had a faith that I admire. You know, a, a faith I respected, whether in college or even now. He's always just exuded faith, a strong faith, a vibrant faith. You know, I, I would say Brian's faith isn't like a mustard seed. It's more like a wrecking ball. And, and, and this faith just, it will decimate you. And so, and, and if anybody's faith could bring somebody out of a wheelchair, Brian's faith could. So why is Brian still in the wheelchair? Why hasn't the miracle he desires, that we desire, has not come? Maybe today's the day. And then we have to stop there because we can never utter the next phrase because maybe today isn't the day. And I can't answer why for sure that today might not be the day. And it goes against this false claimant gospel that we have. But we have to learn how to cope with the struggle. And that does not mean acknowledging the struggle is a lack of faith. Because we don't need Superman faith. You know, Jesus doesn't say, you have to have the faith like Superman. He says you have to have a faith like a mustard seed. A faith that is willing to just come to God and ask him what it is you desire. A faith that is enough to just lead you into the throne room of God's presence. We just need to have enough faith to pray. To pray what's on our heart. And I think all too often we're, we're taught or some, somewhere along the way we get this idea that God doesn't care about the things that's on your heart. God cares about what's on your heart. And that thing that you think is stupid that you don't want to go to God with and pester him with, now's the time for stupid prayers. Like a child prays. They use that imagery. And the thing you care about but feel too stupid to pray about, God wants to hear about it from you. He wants to have a vibrant conversation with you about that very thing that you think is too stupid to come to him about. And that won't happen unless you have enough faith to just bring it to God. Because in the end, God cares about you. And when we care about people, we care about the things they care about. So God cares about the things you care about. And as we grow closer to him and allow the restoration of the broken things in our lives to happen, the things we care about will shift closer and closer to the things that God cares about. But until then, we're where we're at right now, and we might care about some things that God really doesn't care about, but he cares about them because he cares about you. 
So feel free to come to God and to pray what's on your heart. Don't ever be fake with God. He won't think you're stupid. Well, he may. But he'll love you anyway. It's like when your kid comes to you and they say one of the stupidest things, but it's the cutest thing in the world and you love them. You know, God, God, God loves you like we love our kids, but even more so, he has much more perfect love than even our love. He can handle your request. He can handle your disappointment. God can handle reality. And really, when we're disappointed, when we're hurting, and you've come to God and you asked him, we have to learn to get through the struggle, but it's really God's responsibility at that point. If you've asked and you've exhibited the mustard seed faith and God doesn't heal, you rant and rave. I mean, the Psalms are full of David and other people ranting and raving about with God. You can scream at the top of your lungs at God because he hasn't brought you the healing that you desire, the deliverance from something you need and want. God gets it. I've had frustrating nights too. And God gets that too. You know, I remember the night our twins died. We came home from the hospital. They were with the dead baby still inside Lindsay. And, you know, I've shared this story, but for some of you it might be new. And we anointed Lindsay with oil and we prayed for her healing. And I, I, I told God, you, you heal these babies. I'll tell the whole world the story of your great love and your healing. And I think I had the faith to could bring it about. I mean, I, I anointed Lindsay with oil. I prayed. I believed God could do it. What more faith could I have? And then the next morning, we arrived at the hospital and at the risk of looking crazy, we said, do another ultrasound because we want our baby, we think, we hope they're alive. I mean, we, we, we have this expectation that they're alive. And they humored us. They did another ultrasound. But there was still no heartbeat. They were still dead. We went in with the expectation that God did a miracle and the twins would be alive, but they weren't. And instead of a miracle story, to share the whole world, I have this story to share with the whole world. And as we wept throughout the delivery and that day in that room, as we held our dead babies, we were left wondering, why didn't God give us the miracle we desired? The miracle I think we had faith for. And that moment, those types of days, well, that moment for me brought me into a spiritual stupor for years. You know, I left the paid ministry. I wandered around in a doubting wilderness for a good five years, only to be brought back to faith by another disease, melanoma. Only to be blessed with a patient God who called me back into the full-time ministry after treatment for a melanoma that hadn't spread beyond needing a second deeper removal. And in some, in some circles, people would tell me that miracle didn't come because I didn't have enough faith. But in other circles, I mean, we kind of have these two streams of Christianity. In other circles, they would just tell you that God doesn't work that way and you shouldn't have expected a miracle in the first place. That was unrealistic. And yet, I'm somewhere in the uncomfortable middle here. I don't have an easy answer. God could heal my babies and he didn't. I had faith, but God didn't respond with healing. And you have those stories in your life, too. Because let's be honest, that's on God. God didn't heal. Brian not walking, that's on God, too. Your unanswered prayer that you have faith 
on, that's God's responsibility too. If you have prayed and you haven't received the healing you desire, that's on God, and I can't explain what's going on or what's, why it hasn't happened. But God's big enough to handle that responsibility. We serve a pretty big God. And if you haven't prayed, though, it's on you. But then we come face to face with the story of Job in the Bible. It's Job ranting and raving because Job had a terrible tragedy happen in his life. And, and, and the book is set up with his friends arguing with him, telling him why the tragedy happened to him. And, it, and it's just this big dialogue. You can read the whole book of Job if you feel the need. But it goes like this. We're just going to enter into the end of the story. Who is it that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? This is God talking to Job. Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars and sing, when the morning stars sing together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. For the wicked, their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. He goes on for the whole chapter saying this. Um, we won't read it all here, but if you want to read it, it's in Job 38. But God concludes his rebuke to Job with this. Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. And then Job answered the Lord, and he said, Behold, I am small count. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I shall not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. And then God goes on again. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God and can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger. And look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring them low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together, blind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. And then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. That's pretty much what I've been saying here. God can do all these things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is it that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I do not know. Here and I will speak, I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you, therefore I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. And then the Lord restores the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. 
So we enter into this age-old struggle. And the Bible does not back off of showing us this struggle. A struggle shown in the ancient book of Job. A struggle where we can cite so many examples in our days. Whether from friends dying too young, or tragedies, or diseases, or whatever else it is we struggle with. We have these promises, though, from Jesus, that God will take care of us. Yet we find ourselves oftentimes in unresolved valleys where we start to doubt even that promise, maybe. We have faith. We have asked God for what it is we desire. Yet it doesn't seem that God has delivered it at times. But it is the healing, the deliverance, the blessing that we want often. And really, that's what I want for all of us. I want us to all live in the perfect life God has planned for us. And it starts, though, with a faith the size of a mustard seed. It starts with us just willing to be pray with God, just to talk to God about it, to be honest with God about your feelings and ask Him what it is you desire, the stupid prayer that you feel foolish praying, pray it, ask it. If you need help making that step, come forward at the end of the sermon and they'll help you pray it. And then it continues, though, by not giving up. Because the deliverance doesn't happen instantly a lot of the time. The healing doesn't come immediately for some. I picture Job just saying, screw it, God, I'm out. That's what I would do by the end of chapter 3. By the end of chapter 4, I'm, I'm done with this, God. I'm frustrated. You destroyed everything in my life. or everything. Well, the book kind of messed up. But it, everything's gone that I had wanted. And I would just give up. But what we see with Job, he didn't give up. He wrestled with it for 40-some chapters. And then the blessing came again. But we need a belief system that can get us through those days where the healing doesn't come, the tragedy strikes. And in many instances, like the instance with my own twins, there is no waiting for deliverance of your healing. The moment is gone. But what do we do with these types of things? Thankfully, I think God's word guides us there, too. Oh, there's a slide. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So I just want to encourage us. There's so many platitudes we use in Christianity that I think are really destructive. So drop the empty platitudes. Don't tell someone who has prayed in faith that they don't have enough faith for healing. You know, I, there is a friend of Lindsay's more than mine that she knows who um, had a stillborn baby. And the church they were in accused it on them not having enough faith or having sin in their life. You know what that did? Take a guess. They left, they turned away. Well, he did. The man turned away from God because of that. Yeah. And, and we can see that, that, I mean, that was the guess you guys had on what would happen, right? We can see that's the result of that theology. 
And yet, we hear it time and time again. It takes a guy with a bowling ball faith to get through that crap and still have faith when people are telling him he doesn't have enough faith. But people shouldn't be expected to have giant faith. They should be expected to have mustard seed faith. And we, when they are disappointed and hurting, instead of kicking them and with a faith kick, saying, you don't have enough faith, we need to hug them. Like the illustration that Raleigh shared about, you know, just the comfort coming alongside. That's what Jesus does. And we're supposed to do what Jesus does. And instead of telling people, well, you don't have enough faith. Well, there must be some sin in your life. As if Jesus' death on the cross didn't cover our sin. That's blasphemy, I think. Nobody's sin, you know, we all have sin in our lives, and Jesus covers that sin, and Jesus can work despite our sin. I mean, he wants us to grow, of course, and that's not an excuse for, that's another sermon for another day. We don't wallow in sin, but Jesus' blood covered our sin. We just have to have mustard seed faith, and instead of kicking people when they're down, we need to love them. So as Paul wrote here, we must allow ourselves to grow closer to God in all things. Suffering does produce hope. So when we suffer, use that to grow in hope. As Paul says, learn to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God in all situations. So be the opposite of the world we live in. Instead of despairing when bad things happen, which you know I find myself doing, we need to learn to hope in the midst of bad things. And then we need to keep pushing in toward God. You know that job you want, God will deliver it. That healing you want, God will bring it. God doesn't cause the bad things, but God will work through all the bad things. So we just need to make sure that in all things we allow ourselves to grow closer to God. And we need to live in the truth that God will provide and what he provides is enough. Let's read the passage again. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body. What you'll put on is not life more than food, the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You you are more value than them. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Not a one of you. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lily of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, he will clothe you much more than that. And I wonder, like, if we view this, like, he knows we're people of little faith. Like, he's telling them, you people of little faith, he's going to clothe you. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Can I ask uh, Betsy and Raleigh to be up here if anybody needs prayer? And we'll close in prayer.
No, we'll have a song and all that stuff too. We'll, we'll close the message in prayer. Father, I thank you for your grace that just showers us even during our times of turmoil and suffering. And I just pray that we would live in your presence and allow you to help us grow closer to you in all situations. Um, I pray for Brian's healing, that he would walk again without any problems. Yes. And I, I just pray for, there's struggles in people's hearts in here and I, I, you know them and I just pray that you'd bring healing to those situations and deliverance and blessing and whatever it is that people desire. I thank you for all the love you give us, even though we don't deserve it. Give us more of your love. Help us to feel it. In your sins, let me pray. Amen.